What does Hanukkah teach us about our potential? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, generally partial-related Torah podcast. This one is going to be related to the holiday of Hanukkah. And even if you are not listening to this podcast on Hanukkah, somewhere down the road, I am hopeful that the message will be meaningful and inspiring. The lights of Hanukkah are meant to illuminate far beyond the eight nights of Hanukkah. And our holidays typically, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, Passover, Shavuos, and Sukkot, they span the spring and the summer. The biblical holidays, at least, start with the renewal period of the spring, and that's our renewal period, our development as a nation, getting the Torah at Sinai, and then the end of the summer season with the Sukkot holiday and Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur also there toward the end of the summer, and then quiet. From the biblical perspective, not much happens in the fall and the winter, as not much happens in the world. The world gets quieter, long nights, less daylight, less activity. When the sun goes down in the winter, in most of world history, you simply didn't have the wherewithal to have socialization to be maintaining your daytime routines, to maintaining your business affairs, your agricultural pursuits, your trade, your craft, most things quieted down when it came night. And winter represented a time of introspection, self-development, taking the messages learned over the summer and making them more real, more intrinsic to ourselves. But with more downtime, more sleep time comes the risk of hibernation. And God infused into the winter two booster shots of inspiration, Hanukkah and Purim, that give us a recharge, a reawakening, lest we simply kind of detach and uh, sleep through the entire winter. Snow itself, by the way, fascinatingly ties to this as well. I'll suggest, big topic, uh, search for an article by my uh, friend and former colleague, Rabbi Baruch Leff. Uh, search for um, snow at com. Uh, the H website probably still has that article. And if you can't find that, searching for snow and Rabbi Baruch Leff, uh, send me a message at Tachlis Coaching. I can get you uh, access to that article. Fascinating essay about how snow also serves as a dose of inspiration in the winter to reconnect us spiritually. But these booster shots that are meant to carry us again beyond the moment through the winter and with the winter moving then on to a renewed growth in the Pesach summer season. So this is really meant to have impact on us for the long haul. The lights of Hanukkah offset the darkness. Well, it's not just the darkness of our long winter nights. There's the darkness represented by Greece. When back in the beginning of Torah, Bereshis, where just the world is described as tohu, v'avohu, v'choshech, the nothingness and the darkness... The Medrash describes that each reference of a negative experience captured in that first verse reflects on one of the exiles that we experienced. And Choshech, darkness, refers to the exile of Yavan, of Greece. It's very intriguing because Greece was a nation that was known to have the capacity to bring light to the world. They were all about wisdom, knowledge, scholarship. They as we were the only very few, very rare exceptions in world history that made a much bigger deal about intellectual pursuit, that put the scholar at the top of the societal hierarchy. But, unfortunately, 
They took their capacity to bring light to the world and instead turned it to darkness. They had the capacity to enlighten, to brighten, to illuminate. Well, if they took all of their analysis of human nature and of science and the physical, the excellence of the physical body and the intellectual capacity of the human being, and they channeled that to connectivity with the divine, then they would have been a great complement to Israel in bringing man closer to God. And in fact, when way back in Noah, Noah gives a blessing to two out of his three sons, to Shem and to Yephes, Shem and Yephes, who collectively protected Noah's honor, are blessed collectively. They're blessed. Yaft Elohim Yefes, Yishkon Shem. Shem is the father of all Shemites or Semites. Abraham and most of us, thereby, are descendants of Shem. Yefes is the grandfather of Yavan. And Yaft Elohim Yefes, this verse is understood by the Talmud to mean the most beautiful aspect of Yefes shall coexist in the tense of Shem. The beautiful aspects of Yefes, Yavan, Greek wisdom, Greek capacity, Greek knowledge, Greek uh, analysis, can coexist with the tense of shame. The tense of shame are the tense of Torah study, the academies, the yeshivas, and that there was meant to be some type of a union between the two. And interestingly, this has ramifications in Jewish law that a Torah scroll written in ancient Greek says the Mishnah in Tractate Megillah, is kosher. That's not true of a Torah scroll written in English or Yiddish or Ladino. Ancient Greek has unique capacity to combine with and complement Torah. But, tragically, with all their great potential, instead of enlightening man to man's potential, to man's capacity to connect and interface with the divine, Greece used this to stifle man's spirituality to reduce man to man. Interestingly, we find Greeks are probably the earliest nation to make a mockery of their own gods, to belittle their gods. Man is at the top of everything, the first ones to depict man in art with nothing on the head. Society recognized that there's something above us, and Greece kind of threw that off. We're on the top. But if you think about it, with all their focus on the greatness of man, the intellect, and everything that they brought to the world, ultimately, when you divorce all of that from the divine, you have radically reduced man's potential. Because even if the Olympics can display man's great speed, great physical strength, great talents, great flexibility and endurance, but you're still limited to the capacity of the body, right? No one's going to beat the four-minute mile by more than another few seconds or another minute, no one's going to get down to 10 seconds or no seconds. No one's going to defy time. No one's going to bench press more than a 1,000 pounds more than the current world record ever. Right? No one's going to, there's a degree to which the body has its limitations. And up the numbers, catapult yourself over the higher hurdle, ski down the slope at a faster speed, there's going to be a limit at some point of how fast you can go, how much physical brute strength the body can manifest. And even the brain, the focus on the intellect, the focus on philosophical pursuit, there is going to be a point at which we are left with an unanswerable why. Our minds cannot 
grasp everything. And there may be a lot that we can ponder and a lot that we can conjure up and a lot that we can develop, but there's going to be a limitation. And as much as we advance scientifically, there comes a point that we don't have the capacity to go beyond the physical limitations. Judaism, on the other hand, teaches that that's all kind of a starting point, but we have a far greater potential, and that is an interface with the divine. We connect with the divine. We have a capacity to create an eternity, to advance our eternity, to make our eternal living, to nurture the part of ourselves that is currently eternal within a Shema, and to nourish that and give it greater and greater heights forever. And therefore, as much as man can live, whatever health system you use, you can be working on the most perfect diet, the most perfect exercise regimen, but you're limited by the physicality and the finality of human physical existence unless you focus on the neshama. So if you'll advance and live 120 years, or 120 times 120 years, that's still infinitesimally small compared to eternity. Judaism focuses on the eternal. Greece was meant to be a tool to help the world to connect to that eternal, to help the world connect to the truths of Torah, to connect to the, look at the beauty of the man as a reflection of God's incredible gifts that he gives us and the talent that God has displayed in producing the complex human body. Or, tragically, as Greece does, kind of, this is the way things work, and who cares about how it happened or why it happened, who produced it? This is the human body. The Greek culture combated, stifled Jewish culture because they were uninterested in the expression of the human interaction with the divine. And much of what they were banning was specifically focused on the fact that we recognize and we promote and we preach that there is more to life than the physical world. They fought against that. They fought against circumcision that reflects on making the body holy and, again, connected with the divine. They fought against Rosh Chodesh, the declaration of the new moon, which is far more than the running of a calendar, which is very, very important to have the holidays. But it's more than that because it displays our interaction with the divine. The Talmud teaches that God describes that if we declare the new moon on day X, then he creates the spiritual realities based on that, even if astronomically the new moon was really on day Y. Big topic, but the reality of the system of Rosh Chodesh is that God says, I interact with the world based on your behavior. That interdependency and interconnectivity with the divine, which displays our human potential, goes far beyond classic human potential to being a ultimately divine potential. Hanukkah teaches us, we talk a lot in these podcasts about achieving our tachlis, but it teaches us even more that we have tachlis. We have great potential. We have the capacity to have very, very lofty goals and to shoot for great heights in terms of who we aspire to be. We take the messages to heart, the lights of the menorah, if you're lighting them now because it's still Hanukkah, or you're thinking back to them if you're hearing this weeks or months down the road, or you're looking forward to another Hanukkah if you're hearing this way down the road, reflecting on those lights and recognizing we have capacity to offset the darkness with the true wisdom, true light, 
in every culture, the light bulb going off over the head, the idea of enlightening and illuminating and light representing wisdom and knowledge, but the wisdom and knowledge that's tied to a divine wisdom and knowledge, tied to the fact that we have the capacity to interface with the divine, to reflect on that connection as we light the menorah and we think to the lights of the menorah, and to recognize that we have an incredibly uh, sublime taqwas. We have a capacity to aspire to very, very lofty heights and goals. We should set our sights on those heights. And doing so will certainly be a very significant tool in helping us ultimately really aspire to and reach our tackles.